In today's global economy, quality matters. Benjamin Franklin once quipped, the bitterness of poor quality remains long after the sweetness of low price is forgotten. Quality Matters is here to talk about all things quality. So whether you're looking to improve your business, getting ready for an audit, or dealing with failed inspections, tune in, check us out, then get back to doing work that matters. Well, hello and welcome back to the Quality Matters Podcast. I'm Kyle Chambers with Texas Quality Assurance, where quality management gets simplified. And today we're going to talk about real world risk management. Now, this is something that we've talked about on our daily dive, which I have to be honest, not been all that great at doing daily, but we're, we're trying to get there. Um, something we've talked about in our QMS boot camp, but it's not something that we've really addressed in much detail here on the podcast. So that's what we're going to talk about today is some real world uh, planning around risk. You know, what is it? What's expected? Not just from the perspective of standards like ISO 9001, looking at risk-based thinking, APIQ1, looking at preventative actions, APIQ2, taking a look at full-blown contingency planning. So we're going to take a look and kind of discuss what this means between these various standards and how this is not such a completely separate process from our normal day-to-day -day business activities. So let's talk about a few terms first and kind of a few misconceptions that are out there. So the first big misconception is that risk-based thinking, which is a term that Gosh, I don't think anyone in their right mind um, really knows what means. And I'll be honest with you, I don't think the folks that added it to the ISO 9001 standard all agree on what it means. But they did do a decent job. If you read the appendix to the standard, you go down to appendix A4. And effectively, risk-based thinking is preventative actions, folks. Risk-based thinking is saying that we have built our business in such a way that it naturally mitigates risk. And as we see opportunities arise to solve problems or opportunities arrive to maximize on changes, that we're going to take actions that benefit the company. It's pretty straightforward. Uh, we, we call that preventative actions. So let's just get that misconception out of the way that risk-based thinking in ISO 9001 is not a new requirement. It's not a new process. It's been here the whole dang time. They just seven years ago decided to word it some real funky way that just doesn't make a lot of sense to most folks. So now let's kind of talk about what preventative actions are since we're, we're really identifying a lot of risk-based thinking is preventative actions. Well, then let's talk about what a preventative action is. So there's a key word in there, action. So if we take a look, and I'm going to give a little bit of background here, so bear with me. <clears throat> if we take a look at the ISO 9001 standard, and I use it because it's it's kind of the basis that a lot of the other standards are really developed around and, and, and try to mirror and want to be compatible with. So we've got really two big processes um, dealing with actions here. So one is our control of non-conforming outputs, and our other one is our corrective action. And now we're going to argue corrective and preventative actions both fall into this same little clumped category here. So 
in the 2008 edition of the standard, they did a very good job of identifying. We have non-conformance reporting over here and corrective action reporting over here. It was very clear where the boundaries were and what was what. It got kind of muddled in the 2015 edition of the standard. But if you dig into clause, I don't have the standard in front of me, but clause 8.7, we're looking at the control of non-conforming outputs. What this means is we had a requirement and one of our outputs didn't meet the requirement. Now, this could be a part was out of spec. This could be someone didn't complete the purchase order properly. Um, this could be someone didn't fill out their vacation request properly. This could be that we received a bad material. All non-conforming outputs. So we'll clump that over there. We've got non-conforming outputs. Cool. Then we've got in section 10.2, clause 10.2, uh, corrective actions. So you take a look at corrective actions from clause 10.2. Corrective actions can have, and oftentimes do have, a single non-conforming output as its genesis, as its, as its key input. But it could also be trend analysis, and it could also be from risk. So let's let's talk about risk for a little bit. So a lot of y'all going to be watching this on audio. That's fine. But I'm going to hold up my uh, cell phone here. Hey, you can see my little timer to make sure I don't. I don't talk too long. Don't always do a good job watching it, but I'm trying. So you, same idea. Flip a coin. So one side's heads, one side's tails. Which side is your coin? Which side here is my phone? Yeah, it sounds like a stupid question. But when we talk about risk and opportunity, well, they get treated so differently. No, 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 no. They're, they're, they're two sides of the exact same issue. It just depends on our perspective and what we're looking at. So... Let's say we have a risk. So let's talk about what a risk is. So a risk is the effectively opportunity <laughs> for something to go wrong. And an opportunity is something where we have a risk of missing out on a positive. If we don't take an action. They're one and the same. It's just the genesis of where do we see our focus? Are we, are we looking at the potential negative or are we looking at the potential positive? And that's going to do a lot to define if we approach these as risks or opportunities. All right. So let's talk about an example of a risk. All right. So let's say that you have a uh, machine shop and you've got something that's uh, belt driven or chain driven. Cool. So we know that there are rules, OSHA regulations that state the guarding mechanisms that must be around it, depending on how big it is, how far away it is. You know, basically we want to make sure that someone can't poke the finger in through the cracks and get their finger caught on a belt or a chain or God forbid their whole body caught in the belt or the chain. Well, the fact that that belt or chain exists, even guarded, it's a risk. Guarded, it's a risk that has been mitigated, but it's a risk. Okay. Now, you might say, well, how's that an opportunity? In some cases, there's not a lot of positive side on it, just eliminating the negative. That Our opportunity is to eliminate the negative. Okay, well, I guess I can kind of deal with that. Then I might say, well, let's take a look at like a true opportunity. And let's talk about it from a sales perspective. You get an opportunity, you've got a new product or service that you're looking to promote great opportunity for new sales, new customers, new integration with your clients. Lots of good can come about from this. Okay, so we want to act on it. If we don't act on it, we run the risk of, of missing out on the revenue. And if we do act on it and it goes poorly, we run the risk of a lot of cost. So again, you find that these two get very muddled together. All right, now 
that we have that out of the way, we can take a look at the idea of risk-based thinking. So risk-based thinking in the ISO 9001 standard is saying when we identify our objectives, when we create our policy, when we create our documentation, when we do all these things, we need to account for risk in it. Well, forgive me saying this, but that's kind of an absolute no-brainer. I mean, if, if you're not thinking about what could go wrong or what could go good when we do something, it's kind of a wonder you're still in business long enough to need a system that's compliant to these standards. Like, you know, it, this is why I tell people that the ISO 9001 standard is effectively common sense written by a lawyer. This is common sense in legalese. That's really all it is. So, and it's really hard to read and understand. And, you know, it, it's kind of like, if you grow up reading the NIV version of the Bible, it's pretty easy to read and understand. And then someone tosses a King James version at you. It just doesn't make sense. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. But just the King James version is a little funky. ISO 9001 kind of the same way. It, it's really not written in a way that the average person can just open it up and, and read and understand. All right. So... Uh, let's let's dig down a little bit further now into that preventative action piece. So to get there, we've got to really understand the corrective action as well. So this comes from the PDCA plan to check act cycle, something we've talked about a thousand times here on the podcast. And the critical component there is the act plan to check. It's either good or it's bad. We take an action to move forward or we take an action to put a correction in place. Plan, do, check, act. Pretty straightforward. So a preventative action is we see we have some foresight. Something really bad can happen if we don't take action or something really good can happen if we do take action. And you'll find nine times out of ten in business that really good and really bad are just really, really uh, muddied waters. So that's what a preventative action is, is we don't really have something that did happen. We think something might could happen, or we think we might be able to prevent something from happening, or we might be able to cause something good to happen. It's preventative action. Okay. So this is all pretty standard, pretty understandable. Now, what this does mean is that if you're operating under an ISO 9001 compliant management system, there's no need for an explicit preventative action. There's no call for it. I would strongly recommend you still have a preventative action process in place. And in fact, I would argue there's no need to even create a separate process or a separate form for it. In fact, when we do consultation work and in the software we've developed here at Texas Quality Assurance, I swear this isn't just a sales pitch for it. It's just these are good processes. Is our corrective actions serve as our corrective and preventative actions? And really the difference there is do we have a known nonconformance or known trend or is, is this for improvement purposes? That's the difference. It's a differentiating factor there. So it makes it really simple. So what was this crazy complex system? It's not really pretty simple, but there's still the issue of a risk register. This is not, is not, is not, is not, is not a requirement of the ISO 9001 standard to have a risk register. But I will say most consultants, including us, and I fought this for years, 
most consultants will still provide you a risk register. In fact, you go to texasqa.com, you go into our free resources section, you'll find that we're giving away a copy of a risk register for free. Down, put in the info, download it, you're good to go. It's a fully editable Excel document. You're going to like it. It's going to work out well for you. But uh, what the risk register is, is we're going to go through each of our work areas. And there's other ways to do it. This is how we do it. We go through each of your work areas. It might be this is our weld shop. This is our inspection bay. This is our CNC shop. This is our main office, shipping, receiving, inventory, so on. And we're just going to make a list of here's all the things that could go wrong. I think this could go wrong. And uh, have we done anything about it? It's pretty straightforward. Now, you're going to say, well, Kyle, that's kind of redundant. Like, if we already put this into practice and, and we're doing it, like, do we really need to document it? I kind of agree with you. There, it, it, it might be a little redundant. It might be a little a little pointless to you. But I have found I have found that it can be really useful. Let's fast forward six months, two years, three years, five years from now. You're not... You put the system in place, but you're no longer in that position or your company has grown and changed and you're not handling those same duties that you did before. Your future self or your future counterpart will be very grateful to have known your thought process at that time. Why do we have this guard in this location? Oh, well, we saw a risk of a pinch point there. Oh, well, that makes total sense. But maybe somewhere in the interim, y'all replaced some of that equipment and the need for a guard's no longer necessary. And you've kind of got like these ghosts hanging out in there. I, I studied architecture for a few years and they called them architectural ghosts. So the idea being that, see, you've got like this really pretty window, really beautiful window that's in tons of light, but it's totally blocked by the building next to you. And you're scratching your head like, are they really framing this window so that I can see the gutter down there and all the cars parked on the parking lot? No, someone built that wonderful, beautiful window because probably 20 years earlier, it framed a great image of the bayou or something like that, right? So we have the same uh, type of ghost in our, in our workplace as well. So it can be really good for your future self or future counterpart to know what you were thinking today. All right. So let's go a little bit further. So we've got the risk register and I'm going to be honest with you. I do not, do not, do not, do not recommend people working from the risk register. The risk register is a record of risks identified. Should probably be reviewed once to twice a year. It's a record of risks we've identified and actions that have already been taken. Now, if you define a risk, and this happens, and this is where people get into trouble, and the risk register becomes a really, really kind of funky, difficult-to-use process. If you define a risk, that merits an action. Do you keep an open action item on the risk register and follow up on it and put all your details there? Some people do. I argue it's a waste of time. I argue that it is going to complicate your process unnecessarily. If you identify a risk that requires action, what quality management tool that we all kind of know and love might we use to handle an action? Oh, that's our corrective action process. So you identify a risk that needs mitigated, open up a corrective action for it. 
stick that corrective action number in your risk register and say this risk was mitigated with this action. Done. Move on. In fact, I recommend for the most part that folks only update the risk register about uh, about once or twice a year, typically before the management review. And I'll tell you where the majority of that input comes in is from your corrective action log. Pull out all your corrective actions from this year. You didn't have a corrective action for no reason. You had a corrective action because you identified a risk. It's either a known risk or a potential risk. But either way, you know it. You documented it. You did something about it. So that's risk. It's not all that complicated. I think people pay for multi-day classes and courses to discuss risk and risk management, which is necessary in larger scale organizations. But um, most of our clients are small business and most of the listeners to this podcast are small business. There's really not a need for a full risk management system, which do exist, have their place. Most businesses, it's not necessary. So now we can understand ISO 9001 APIQ1. They're really not all that different in this aspect. ISO 9001's risk-based thinking lines up with APIQ1 for preventative actions. All right. Now let's talk about one step further contingency planning. This is a big one. And a lot of you actually have a little bit of experience here, but you're probably not aware you've got the experience. So does your company have, well, if you're on the Gulf Coast, this is going to apply to you. If you're not on the Gulf Coast, eh, it probably won't mean much to you. But for those of us that have lived on the Gulf Coast, I guarantee your company has some sort of a hurricane plan, right? We When there's a hurricane, five days out, three days out, We've got certain actions that we're going to take because we know that there's a hundred mile wide storm charging at us and it's likely to get us. Okay. So typical is that hurricane plan. Hey, five days out, we're going to meet daily to review the progress of it. Blah, blah, blah. Four days out, we're going to go ahead and run an extra backup of our servers. Make certain we've got it there. We're going to store a copy off site somewhere. Cool. Three days out, you know, we're going to make sure that we've got good contact info for all of our folks, make certain that uh, they go ahead and tell them to make plans for their family, so forth. Two days out, we're going to review and address if we're going to shut down the facility. You know, one day out, we're going to shut down the facility because it's headed this way. We're going to tell all of our people to get home, get safe. Right. So you've, we've got this hurricane plan. It, it's, it's pretty common. Well, this is, in fact, what we call a contingency plan. Now, the ISO 9001 standard does not require it. The APIQ1 standard does not require it. But our friend, the APIQ2 standard does require it. Now, if you're not in the oil and gas world listening to this, I'll, I'll fill you in on it. You've, if you listen to the podcast, you're probably already familiar. So ISO 9001, just a good overall general management system standard. Manufacturing, service providers, nonprofits, it doesn't matter. It's a good system. All right. APIQ1 is developed for oil and gas manufacturers. APIQ2 is for oil and gas service providers, really with emphasis on uh, offshore service providers, but service providers. So if you're a service provider in oil and gas world, and you're certified to APIQ2, it's required that you have contingency plans. Okay. Well, this is just the next step in our risk strategy. 
So we identify risk all day, naturally. Some risks merit action. We create a corrective action. We make a log of all of the things we've identified and the stuff that we fixed. Hey, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. We got some preventative measures going in place. Man, I'm feeling even better about myself. But geez, you know, the world's gone a little bit bonkers recently. And, you know, God forbid that, uh, I don't know, there's oil prices go out of whack and, and, and the supply chain goes out of whack and, and a company gets shut down for six months by the government. And, you know, lots of things can happen that uh, maybe we hadn't really thought about well before, not to mention the increase in cyber attacks and all sorts of crazy stuff going on. Well, you need to assess for yourself which one of these is uh, are, are we at largest of, of impact from. All right. So I'll use my company as an example here. So at Texas Quality Assurance, I have zero on-site servers. Now, I say that I have a server I use for testing for mass upload of data, but they don't store anything on it. And if it died, I can rebuild another one in a day. It's not a big deal. Now, previous company I worked at, oh my gosh, we had three different uh, server closets. You know, we had uh, switches and routers with all sorts of custom code in on the phone system with, you know, an enormous uh, complicated call tree. My gosh, if that facility were to be flooded, it'd be a nightmare to replace. Here, all this gets flooded. I mean, I'm, I'm out the money for, for my podcast equipment, but I can keep going. You just won't get to see my pretty face for a little while. You'll probably get it on some goofy little cell phone video. But that's the worst I've got to look at. So if I were to do a contingency plan for information technology infrastructure, I'm not too terribly concerned here. We have everything loading in, in 365. We've got a lot of security features and controls in place there. The biggest thing I may want to look up is a backup solution to a separate tenant that we, God forbid, the one we have is hacked into. Hey, I've got a daily copy on a completely separate tenant so we can restart if necessary. But if you have a uh, very strong on-site information technology presence, well, you're going to need to know the minimum specifications for each of your servers. You're going to need to know what data is stored on them. You're going to need a map out of all of your connections and links and routing and information. And all of that can be done. Um, but those are the differences in the type of contingency plans we may need to develop. Something we've seen a lot of folks recently needing to develop our contingency plans around workforce stability. You know, we, we had an episode recently with Aaron Urban on talking about workforce stability. Uh, we had someone with uh, 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 Sean Thomas with an API talking about the API skills program. And these kind of go towards that same idea of workforce stability. You know, after COVID hit, I mean, so many people left the job market and when they returned, they didn't necessarily return where they were before. We've got a lot of folks who have just never returned to the job market, folks that are uncomfortable going back to the old office location that they were at and all these different reasons. Right. But let's come up with a contingency plan for workforce stability. What are we going to do? Um, once we have, you need to have some sort of a, uh, a, an action in here. When you pull the lever on this, once we have X number of vacant positions open, 
we throw this plan into place. Maybe that plan includes partnering with um, a veteran location to try to bring additional folks in. I think that's a fantastic idea. Maybe you've got some other uh, workforce organization locally that you could contract with to get additional folks in there. So that could be something. Another part of that contingency plan might include some preventative measures ahead of time of what are we going to do to keep and retain these employees? How are we going to better train them? How are we going to cross train them? All sorts of stuff. But it is worth thinking out and planning out. And you might be saying, well, Kyle, like what the heck does one of these plans look like? Well, 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 we're giving that away for free also. If you go to texasqa.com under our free resources, you're going to see in that risk assessment, we've also got a free outline of our hurricane contingency plan. Very easily modified Word documents, not locked, nothing like that. You can go in there, make the edits and changes, and get that contingency plan prepared for your organization. Um, but workforce stability is a big one. Obviously, cybersecurity is a big one. And, you know, the list can go on and on from issues with environmental response. Let's say your facility stores a certain uh, volume of toxic chemicals, or perhaps you're required to do regular reporting for EPA or TCEQ. And again, God forbid you have a release. You, you know, you should have all sorts of plans to prevent that release. But um, let's, God forbid, you have that release. What are you going to do if and when that happens? So, again, have that plan laid out ahead of time. You know, we've got some uh, military friends and what they call this is uh, is war gaming. Right. So if this bad thing happens, what's the next 10 things that we're going to do as we're doing those 10 steps? What else could go wrong along the way that we need to address and be worried and be concerned about? So war game it out for yourself. But, uh, you know, so we've got environmental issues that could occur. You know, we're seeing more and more issues with physical security, you know, talking about these uh, active shooter type situations and scenarios. Can God forbid this happens at your facility, whether it's one of your folks or some deranged person from the street coming in? What actions do you have? Do you have any protocol for these worst case type scenarios? And you need to evaluate your facility and, and what constitutes a high enough risk there. And there's a number of ways that you can do it. So one, and, and if you've ever done a, a failure mode effect analysis, a FEMA, uh, you're already familiar with this idea. But for those of you that haven't, a very simplified version is we want to take a look at every risk and we want to score it on three criteria. Criteria one is we want to score that on the severity. So, and I've, I've got a scale. If any of you want it, I can send a copy of it to you. It's, it's a nice little rubric. But from a, I like to score it on a one to five. Ephema is officially scored on a one to 10. But I'll be honest with you, I have a hard time identifying for the average person. What's the difference in a seven and an eight? But I can identify the difference in a four and a five pretty easy. So one to five. One being, yeah, not a big deal. So on a severity issue, one to five, I stubbed my toe as a one. And a five, multiple people died. Okay. A four, someone died or is critically injured. Three, you know, hospitalized. Two, medical treatment. One, eh, I stubbed my toe. It hurts. I'm probably going to cuss at you, but hey, we're okay. I'm going to move on. So you want to score it on severity. The second one you want to score it on is likelihood. 
whereas a likelihood, a good likelihood is it never happens. It's next to impossible. So when we do our QMS bootcamp trainings, what I use here is a uh, shark attack. Okay. So if you get attacked by a shark, yeah, that's easily a four, right? You, you're losing a limb. You're getting bit. Yeah, it's bad. The shark attack's easily a four, right? Jaws, it's a five. Okay. But more people get struck by lightning than bit by sharks. I'm more likely to die from a tornado today than I am from lightning or a shark bite. So that's going to be a one. A one is less than one in 1.5 million. So we're, we're getting out there, the very tail end of that bell curve. Well, that's a one in 1.5 million. Whereas a five is more than a 50% chance. It is incredibly likely that this will happen today. So an example of that would be Houston traffic. If I'm going to drive to work today, what are the odds that I'm going to run into traffic? It's greater than 50%. So I'm going to give traffic issues a five on my likelihood there. Okay, cool. Shark bite is a one. All righty. Then your third metric is you're going to look at detectability. How easy is it for me to know there's a problem? Now, this one's a little bit harder, but detectability is a big deal because low detectability means that the severity and the likelihood are, are really more of an issue. Whereas if it's uh, a very easy to detect, you can see it a mile away. Oh, well, I can pretty easily avoid the issue. But if it's hard for me to avoid, ah, it's more likely to catch me by surprise. So detectability is the same type of thing. How likely am I to detect it when it's occurring? Same thing. Good detectability is a one in 1.5 million. Bad detectability is, yeah, um, I'm sorry. <laughs> I said that backwards. Good detectability is more than 50%. I'm almost certain to see it. Bad detectability is one in 1.5 million. So we kind of flip from the, uh, uh, from the likelihood scenario there. But same type thing. So an example, we just moved out into the middle of the country. So a snake in Houston is a lot easier to detect than a snake in the woods. Snake in the Houston. You know what? I see a snake on the sidewalk. It's pretty obvious there's a snake on the sidewalk. I got my nice manicured grass with real low, you know, well-trimmed yard. Pretty easy to see a snake. However, when you're walking through the woods so thick that you can't even, you know, walk without getting scratched and scuffed up, and that snake's curled up under the leaves, you really don't have much of a chance of detecting it before it's there. So this is detectability. The easier it is for us to detect, the easier it is for us to skirt around it. Then what you do is you take these three numbers, you multiply them together, and then you give yourself some scale. This can change company to company. We have it built into the risk uh, register on the website. But then you give yourself some threshold. Any risk above this threshold, instantly, we're going to contingency plan it. And then you can do a contingency plan for anything else that you just feel is necessary because you know your business. Um, but really, that's it. So we're, we're going from basic identification of risk. Should I make this offering? Should I not make that offering? Should I give guys a glove? Should I not give them a glove? To preventative, corrective actions all the way into contingency planning and how do I track and record all of it? There you go, folks. That is risk-based thinking, risk management, corrective action, preventative action, contingency planning, 
all in the span of 30 minutes. I hope this is some helpful information for you. I hope, I really truly hope that you can use this, put it to use in your workplace. By all means, go to the website, check it out. We've got tons of free stuff up there. I say this often. My goal is to provide as much free information on the website as I possibly can. You know, I want to make certain that you guys have the tools you need to run your business effectively. If and when you need additional manpower, you need additional support or expertise, we're here. But if you've got the people to do the job, I want to make certain you've got what you need to get started. So go check it out. Lastly, if you haven't subscribed to the Quality Matters podcast and you're listening to it right now, subscribe, please. We are everywhere. Rumble, YouTube, Twitter. I mean, you, you name it, we're posting this everywhere. So go ahead and find us on there. Let us uh, know what you think. Love to hear from you, especially leave iTunes reviews. We really, really appreciate those. So leave us a review. Let me know what you think. And if you've got a topic you want to hear more about, let us know. We're looking forward to talking to you. But that's all I got. So you guys have a wonderful day.